Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, uh, I started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled uh, Glue, Making Your Family Stick. And we're looking at, you know, when you feel like in your family life, life kind of comes unglued. And I appreciate Jeremy filling in for me last week. And there are times in your life where you feel like life's kind of coming unglued. Family, man, it could be finances, relationships, communication, on on the list goes. So we're looking at what the Bible says about gluing it back together. And because the Bible is the glue that holds your family together. So we've been looking at these sermon topics. And I told you, I'm, I'm preaching a little different than I typically do. I'm trying to give you a blend of Bible, uh, practical tips, observations from 25 years in ministry, research, and just some good old common sense. So today, I want to preach on this subject. I'm going to preach on back off. I'll explain that as we go along. How many of you remember writing a term paper in high school or college? You remember that? Anybody had to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, how many of you remember what the margins on a piece of paper had to be? What was it? One inch margins all the way around. As a matter of fact, did you know that on a high school term paper, college term paper, if you put one inch margins all the way around the sheet of paper, did you know that just with that, 37.4% of the piece of paper is totally blank, just with the one inch margin all the way around? As a matter of fact, I actually pulled up one of my college uh, papers and uh, there it is. That's an introduction. That's a one inch margin all the way around. That's not the whole page, but you get the point. That means more than a third of the paper is blank just by the one inch margin. Not only that, you have to single or double space, double space, right? And so when you double space, that means way more than 50% of a sheet of paper when you turn it in is blank space or margin, margin from the outside, margin between the sentences, margin between the lines and the words. What if you took out all of the margin? Well, I took the same paper that I wrote in college and I took out all the margin and that's what it looks like. Now, if you were a teacher and somebody handed this in, by the way, nobody hands this in, right? Like we go and make our margins 1.2 inches to squeeze it all, you know, get a little more pages in there. But with no margin, you see that and there's nothing but stress. By the way, this is the way the Greek New Testament was written. It was written in Greek with no margin and no spacing. The Greek's even tighter than this, and uh, that's why sometimes it's difficult to translate uh, into other languages because it was written with no margin, no spacing. But if somebody turned this in, you'd see that and you'd immediately be stressed. You'd immediately be full of anxiety. If you had to read a book that was written like this, you'd just rather not. Why? Because there is no margin. No margin creates anxiety and stress. And I want to tell you this morning that the problem with the average American family is that we are living marginless lives. We are cramming every second of every day with some activity. And because of that, we have no time for relationship building. Because of that, we have no time 
for love. Because of that, we have no time for instructing our children. We have no time for leisure. We have no time for rest. We have no time for God or the spiritual things in life. And I'm so convinced of this sentence I'm about to put on the screen that you you need to remember this sentence, that if the devil can't make us very, very bad, he'll settle for very, very busy. Because what the purpose of sin in your life is just to destroy your relationship with God. The purpose of sin in your life is to disconnect you from your relationship with God. The devil doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your sin. He's not enamored by your sin. The only reason the enemy is introducing sin into your life is he's trying to sever the relationship between you and God. But if he can't get you very, very bad, The fact is, most of the people in this room aren't going to run around on your spouse. You're not going to get in some scandalous business affair. As a matter of fact, most people in this room, you've got those Ten Commandments down pretty good. You're not breaking those. And so the enemy knows he's not going to get you to be very, very bad today. So here's what he's going to do. He's just going to get you very, very busy. And when you're very, very busy... You don't have time in your life for God. And it accomplishes the same thing as being very, very bad. See, when you don't have margin in your life, your stress increases. I'm going to talk about several areas today where you need margin in your life. When you don't have margin in your life, your stress goes up and up and up. When you don't have margin in your life, relationship intimacy decreases. When you don't have margin in your life, you can never relax. When you don't have margin in your life, you only do, you only ever get done what you have to get done, never what you want to get done. And when you don't have margin in your life, time off is never really time off. It's the disease that's killing your family. And I would say to you today that uh, it's not that you don't love one another, it's that you don't have enough margin in your life to love one another. Now, margin is not an excuse for laziness. Margin is an exercise in priorities. So before I dive into how to get margin in your life, let's define what I'm talking about when I'm talking about margin. How do we define margin? I'm going to give you three definitions that will hopefully hopefully paint a complete picture of what margin is. Number one, margin is the space between our load and our limits. So for example, here is the load you're carrying. Here is the maximum you can carry. There should be a healthy space between your load and your limit. When you don't have this space, what happens is your load gets higher and higher and higher to your limit. And when you're right here, And your load and your limit are the same. Now, you can stay there for a little while. In times of stress and anxiety and different things going on in your life, sickness, I mean, you can get here. But you can't live here. When you live here, something always breaks. Margin is that space between the load I'm carrying and the limit I can carry. Let me give you another definition. It's the amount available beyond what is necessary. Here's what's necessary. How much more space do I have beyond what is necessary? Again, if that's bumping up, you have no margin. Third one, I I love this. The ability to add something without overflow. I get up about 5.30 in the morning on Sundays. I get up at 5.30 and and, uh, uh, Kelly Riding's got us brewing uh, 
uh, he got me brewing uh, percolator coffee. I don't know if you remember percolator coffee, but he talked about how good it was. So I went and bought an old-fashioned stovetop stainless steel percolator and 30 bucks on Amazon. And I get up 5.30, turn the percolator coffee on, and I drink about one uh, pot every morning of uh, coffee. And, uh, uh, but this morning I got up and I, got, I turned the coffee on, takes about 30 minutes and got dressed and got my BBX shirt on. I was so excited and, and get to wear a t-shirt to church that's so fun. And so I went and filled my cup of coffee, walked, sat down in my office to go over my sermon, turned the coffee up and poured it on my shirt. The reason I did that was I had filled my coffee to the very, very brim. There was not space for another drop of coffee in my cup. That is a cup of coffee without margin. Here's what margin means. The ability to add something without overflow occurring. And the fact is, you're probably at a place in your life, uh, many of us get there where one more drop is going to kill us. One more drop is going to send us over. One more drop is going to put us over the top. You're one drop away from just having a good old-fashioned breakdown and saying, I can't do it anymore. Well, there are multiple areas of your life where you need margin. As a matter of fact, there's more than I'm going to talk about today, but I want to talk about the three areas of your life where you definitely need margin in order to have a good family and a good home. So write these down with me. Number one is this. You have to have financial margin in your life. Now, here's a proverb nobody ever preaches on or nobody ever sees, but I want you to look at it with me. It's in Proverbs chapter 13, verse number seven. It says this, one person pretends to be rich, but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, but has abundant wealth. Follow me. One person pretends to be rich, has nothing. One person pretends to be poor, but has abundant wealth. Proverbs 13, seven. Now, now here, here's, it's, it's fairly simple. Here's the story of two different people. Here they are. One person, here's a guy over here, he's pretending to have more than what he really does. That, that, that guy is living above his means. That family, if you will, is living above their means. Here's what that means, that there is, there's no margin in their life. Their load and their limit are right next to each other. One more financial drop, so to speak, in the bucket and they're overflowing. There's absolutely no more margin financially in their life. So here's what you have. Let me just use numbers, made up numbers. Maybe you have a guy that makes $1,000 a week and you say, well, what does no margin mean? Spending $1,500 a week? No, that person who makes $1,000 a week, who is spending $1,000 a week has no margin. That is a person who is pretending to be rich but in reality has nothing in his life. Why? Because he's spending everything he makes. And it's just so true in American life. It seems like every time we get a raise, we go buy something. Every time we get a better job, we go get something bigger. We go get something better. We go get something newer. And so what happens is we're making a thousand bucks a week and we're spending a thousand bucks a week. You say, well, preacher, as long as I'm even, I'm okay. No, there's no margin there. Because what's going to happen when the tires wear out? Well, the brakes go bad, or well, the kids get sick, or somebody needs braces. And the list goes on and on and on. Because of that, the proverb says they actually have nothing. Now, I would disagree with the Bible there. They do have something. They have heartache. They have anxiety. They have worry and stress in their life. They do have that. But you've got a family who 
is pretending, and, and you, you say things like this, man, I don't know how they do that. I don't know how they afford that car. I don't know how they afford that house. How do they do it? Man, he must make more than, um, you know, than what I realized. Because why? They're spending every dollar they make. And so when you look at them, it looks like they're wealthier than what they really are. But behind the scenes, the Bible says they actually have nothing. There's a second guy. This guy is pretending to be poor or he is pretending to, he is living off less than his income. We would call that living below their means. That's not a phrase you've heard because we don't do that in America, living below their means. And the Bible says that when they are literally living comfortably below what they make, they feel rich. Living below your means or living with financial margin in your life means that something can happen and you're not going to overflow financially, that the brakes can go bad and you've got it and the tires can go bad and you got it and the kids can get braces and you got it. It doesn't mean you have extra, but it just means you're making $1,000 a week, but here's what you're doing. You're living off $750 a week. And I know what you're thinking. Man, talk about money. I don't talk about money a whole lot, but I know you're thinking God doesn't even care about my money, does he? Well... Since you're debating with me in your mind, right? I know you're thinking it. Consider these statistics. 16 out of 38 of Jesus' parables deal with money and possessions. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament deal with biblical stewardship or money. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels talks about money. And there are more than 2,000 scriptures on, in the Bible on tithing money and possessions, which is twice as many as faith and prayer combined. God cares about your money, and let me tell you why he cares about your money. Because he knows that if you are upside down, that your family is going to be filled with stress. It's going to be filled with anxiety and worry and hurt. And I'm not a financial counselor today. Don't, don't take any advice, financial advice from me, but take some biblical advice from me. And let me tell you how to get financial margin in your life. Here we go. Number one, how do you do it? Make a monthly budget and stick to it. Let me tell you why that's important. This is going to force you to talk about money. So oftentimes in a family, you have one spouse who pays all the bills and the other spouse uh, doesn't. And so you've got one spouse who's always stressed out and another one who doesn't know, so they don't care. And they're swiping a card everywhere we go. And the one who pays the bills is kind of angry at the one who's swiping a card or whatever is going. And, but they never talk about it. So you wind up in financial disarray because you don't, and all a budget is is a plan. You don't have a plan to spend. You don't have a plan to save. You don't have a budget to live off of. Hey, let me tell you this. Go home today. If you don't learn anything else from this sermon, start on a budget, make a budget, and put it on paper. And look, I can't tell you many people are like, I don't want to put it on paper. Preacher, it doesn't look good if you put it on paper. That's why you need to put it on paper. Make a monthly budget. Number two, Dave Ramsey says this, downsize and downgrade. Get a smaller house, a cheaper house, an older car. Americans are killing themselves with cars they can't afford. Get a smaller house and a smaller car. Number three, cut out some reoccurring expenditures. You might want to get rid of a, you might want to scale down a package on Direct TV. I tell you, we live in the subscription generation. Oh, Apple wants $5.99 or $2.99 from me for every single thing they got on this phone. They want $14.99 for music and 
I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. And if you're not careful, you'll look at a, a credit card statement and you've got monthly subscription after monthly subscription. When's the last time you looked at all that? Number four, aggressively pay down debt, especially consumer debt. And don't even get into it if you can help it. Number five, find extra income. And I'm not talking about digging in the couches for the quarters. If that works, that works. Sometimes you may need to get another job, an extra job, a weekend job, a part-time job, something along those lines to get out of debt. Analyze every need. Is it a want or a need? We're spending ourselves into financial ruin because of things we want. Now, can I, can I, can I, can I be honest with you here? We're talking about this. I'll, just, I'll be total confession time. I have a couple of things I can spend money on. I love watches. I buy every watch I ever see. I love shoes. I probably have more shoes than my wife does. I love shoes. I do. I love them. Every time we go to a department store, I walk through the shoe section. Not only that, I don't need something in Best Buy. I want everything in Best Buy. Like I don't need one thing. I want them all. I want them all. I want everything in there. I'm a, I, I, I have to be careful because I can, I can turn a want into a need. The other day, my oldest daughters, they bought a house in downtown Atlanta, and, and they were like, they need television for a room. And I'm like, I'll give you one of ours. And she's like, you'll give me one of your televisions, Dad? That's so nice. I said, I know. I know. I know. I'll just go to Best Buy and buy me another one. That's what I'll. I love my kids that much. It's like. See, I turn that into a want and a need in a hurry, you know. Like, I'm helping my kids, Sherry. It's not about me. I don't want a 72-inch television with high depth. I just need one. That's, that's. Finally, try to live off 70% of your income. You say, well, what do I do with the 30%? Tithe, save, and invest. Tithe, save, and invest. If you're living off 100% of your income, you're headed for trouble. You sit down and make a budget off 70% of your income. Now, look, I'm going to tell you, that's not always possible in life. It's not always going to be able to be done. But you've got to do it at some point. If you're not putting money in savings, I'm telling you that you're, there's going to come a day. And I know some of you are thinking, well, my kids are young now. They're so expensive. When they get to be teenagers, that they won't cost as much. <laughs> See, you bought a prom dress, hadn't you? You know, you know. And there's cars and there's stuff and it just goes on and on and on. I know, I know what you thought, I, but I knew better than this. Well, when I finally get my last kid out of the house, we'll have some money then. Nope. Because a grandkid comes along and I saw it coming. I, I, was, I told my kids, I need five years between you and a grandchild and I got like two. Well, daddy, why do you need five years? I got to save some money because I know what your mama's going to do once we have a grandchild. No, you're just going to have to start living off 70%. Let me, let me move on in a hurry. Number two, not only do you need financial margin, number two, you need moral margin. Look at that verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 22. Abstain from all appearance of evil. All appearance of evil. Avoid even the appearance of evil. In other words, here's what Paul was trying to say. Walk so far away from the line of sin that if you fall, you don't even fall into sin. Here's what moral margin means. It means putting a safe distance between you and wrong, you and sin. So let me get this. Let's just imagine the other side of the stage is sin. 
Where I'm standing is not sin. But here's the line. Here's what we try to do in the Christian life. We try to walk right on the line of sin. Well, now, I didn't do it, preacher. I didn't do it. I looked at it, but I didn't do it. You know, I'm just walking on the line. That's not what moral margin is. Moral margin is when I'm standing over here and sin's way over there. That I could fall and I'm still not going to fall off. Just might fall closer. I might break my own standard, but I'm not going to break the Bible's standard. And that's what Paul was saying in 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Abstain from even the appearance of evil. Listen, Adam and Eve got into trouble. The reason we have sin today is Adam and Eve. You know why? Adam and Eve played around and lost their moral margin. They were standing at the forbidden fruit tree and they were smelling it. This thing smells good. Because we know this. The Bible said they said this. Like the Bible tells us this was true. They were touching it. They were like, man, this fruit, that's the best fruit. And we're not going to eat it, but let me just hold it for a minute. Smell that, Adam. We're never going to eat it, but just smell it. Their moral margin eroded until the day they ate of the one thing God told them not to. We get into trouble when our moral margin erodes. Our families fall apart when our moral margin erodes. Husbands make bad decisions when their moral margin erodes. Wives make bad decisions. Teenagers make bad decisions when their moral margin erodes. The old saying is true. If you get too close to the fire, you will get burned. If you get too close to the edge, you will fall off. Here's a picture of a couple. Many of you may have seen this news story. Manikshi Morthy and Vishnu Viswanath died last year, last fall. When they got too close to a cliff in Yosemite Park and they stumbled, a gust of wind they think came along and they stumbled and fell and died. She had posted a picture just a few months before that with her standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and I'll read it to you. Here's what she said on Instagram, because they had a huge Instagram following. She said, a lot of us, including yours truly, is a fan of daredevilry, attempts of standing at the edge of cliffs and skyscrapers. But did you know that wind gusts can be fatal? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And then she said this, is your life just worth one photo? And months later, standing on the edge of a cliff in Yosemite Park, they both fell to their deaths. They, they found them because there was a tripod set up and nobody around. They'd blown off the edge of the cliff. I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm just trying to tell you when you get too close to the edge, it's easy to get knocked off. The moral edge works that way. Listen, when you're moral... Margin erodes, a bad day, and the next thing you know, you make a terrible decision. A bad emotion, and the next thing you know, you make a terrible decision. Listen, a bad argument at home, and the next thing you know, you're making a terrible decision. You've got to build moral margin in your life. Let me give you four ways to do that. Number one, don't keep secrets. Between you and your spouse, there ought to be a level of transparency That means there are no social media secrets. Your phone is not off limits. You should not hide your phone. It should not be turned upside down all the time. 
Your husband, your wife, your parents ought to know every password you have. If you're afraid for somebody to pick up your phone, something is going wrong in your life. There can be no secrets in relationships. Build moral margin. Number two. Build safe boundaries. Here's a great statement. If you're going to write something down, write this down. Build boundaries in your life that don't just keep you from sin. They keep you off the road to sin. Don't, don't just build boundaries that keep you from making the final terrible. Act. Keep, keep boundaries, keep margin that keep you far away. Number three. For your family's sake, always be guarded with the opposite sex. Hey, husbands and wives, that means, and, and teenagers as well, that means watch your words. You shouldn't talk to anybody more than you do your spouse. You should never go to work and look at some member, not anybody for that matter, but especially not a member of the opposite sex and say, my wife and I, my, my wife and I just aren't getting along. My husband and I just aren't getting along. That is the beginning of tragedy in your life. You watch yourself with the opposite sex. And by the way, that means online as well. You watch your actions. You, you stay out of compromising situations. Here at our staff, the, uh, uh, this, early this year, we implemented on paper a staff code of conduct that everybody signs where we put in moral margins into our staff's lives. We, we can't be in a car alone with a member of the opposite sex other than our immediate family. We cannot uh, be in the office alone. A, a, an administrative assistant and a pastoral staff cannot be in the office alone by themselves. If it happens accidentally, somebody's got to leave or you've got to call somebody else there if you have to stay. We're building a code of conduct into our life that, that separates us from the line. I could just put in there, don't have an affair, but that's not good enough. And number four, keep a consistent devotional life. This saying is true. Sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. I've never known anybody to fall into sin who had a daily walk with God. I know, I've, I know tons of preachers, and by the way, tons is a strong word, but it's true. I know plenty of preachers that fell into immorality, and the first thing they'll tell you is, I quit having a devotional life. So we need moral margin. We need financial margin. Number three, and I'm finished. We need calendar margin. I love this verse. It's a tough verse. Ephesians 5.16 it says this, making the most of the time because the days are evil. What does it mean the days are evil? It means that your day, this is a time management verse. It means that your day has a way of getting by you and keeping you really busy without getting anything of importance done. How many of you have gone to bed at night and, and somebody say, uh, your spouse maybe say to you, your kids, and say, man, how was your day? And you said, man, it was busy. I was slammed from morning till night. And then they say to you, well, what'd you do? And you can't think of one single thing you accomplished. How many of you have ever had that happen to you? It's like, I don't know. I spent 16 hours doing something. I don't know. Can I tell you this? Hours roll into days and days roll into months and months roll into years and years roll into a lifetime. Here's what we know. We don't know what we did, but we did a lot of it, and we were very busy doing it. 
And we move at a breakneck speed, and it's true for newlyweds, for new parents, to grandparents. I've had grandparents. I've had some of y'all tell me. I get it. You're like, man, I tried to retire. My, my kids kept having grandkids, and now I'm like an Uber driver, and I'm, you know, I'm all, I get it. I get it. Life's not good that way, so let me tell you how to add some calendar margin back into your life. Number one, know this. I'm going to give you 11 things in four minutes. Number one, there'll be an ebb and flow to your life. You've got to understand that. There are going to be busier times than other times. There are going to be times in your life. Listen, for all of you who are newlywed parents who are not sleeping a drop at night, tough. We all did it. I went 10 years without any sleep whatsoever with two kids. Y'all that got five or plan on having five, six, seven kids, good luck to you. I'll see you in heaven. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how you're doing that. Two kept me awake for 10 years. A lot of sickness and that kind of thing. Like, I get it. That's a period of your life. It will pass, but it's rough while you're in it. I get it. There's an ebb and flow to life. Number two, know this. You have to prioritize. You, you just have to start determining right now what's most important to me. And if your family's most important to you, you have got to get it uh, prioritize for your life. Number three, let me tell you this. You have to get done what you have to get done so you have time to do what you want to get done. One of the reasons we have no calendar margin is we don't ever check anything off the list. We got all these things that need to be done that we never do. And I mean, I'm with you, I get it. But if you don't get done what you have to get done, you'll never get done what you want to get done. So get what you have to get done, done. You can watch the tape back and it makes sense if you watch the tape back. Number four, Calendar important things. Date night with your wife, put it on a calendar. Time with your kids, put it on a calendar. Family meals, put it on a calendar. You just say things like this. Somebody asks you to do something, you say, oh, I'm sorry, I already have an appointment tonight. The appointment is on the couch with my wife and a bowl of popcorn and a bag of Doritos and a movie, but that's, that's an appointment tonight. Put it on your calendar. Number five, take vacations. Like really a vacation. Like so many times I see parents take vacations and they work the whole time they're gone. I get some jobs are more stressful like that than others. I get it. But as much as possible, when you take a vacation, the world will turn without you. Did you know the sun will rise tomorrow without you? You can be on vacation. God's not depending on you whatsoever to make the sun rise tomorrow. He's got it. So if, if he can get by without you, the carpet mill can too or wherever you may work, right? Number six. Say no to good things. If life were about saying no to bad things and yes to good things, it'd be simple. It's not. Life is about saying no to good things and yes to the best things. You've got to learn to say no to good things. Number seven, wake up with a clean slate. Here's what that means. Get everything you can get done the night before for the next day. I talked about that earlier on in the sermon. I won't do it again. Number eight, rise early. I know you hate to hear that. I know you hate it, but can I tell you, if you'll get up at 5 or 5.30 in the morning, I'm, and you say, well, preacher, I'm an eye now. I get it. it, but if you're working from 10, 12 to 2, I get it, but most of the time that's not the case. If you, let me just say this. If you get up late, you'll start your day that way, and it will end that same way. Can I get an amen from somebody? Right? Just get up early. You say, well, I'm not a morning person. Hey, neither am I. I'm not a morning person. It takes a shower and a pot of coffee to wake me up in the mornings at 5.30, literally. I have to set an alarm clock across the room to get me up, 
and I have an alarm clock. You can go online. Uh, Michaela, show me to get it. It, um, it starts lighting up at 5 o'clock. It's an it's a LED clock that starts glowing softly 30 minutes before I get up until it lights the whole room up by 5.30. I wake up in bright daylight inside my room when it's dark outside. And then still I cuss a little bit when I get up then. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not, that's a joke, that's a joke, it's a joke. I let Sherry do my cussing for me. I don't do that. Number nine, limit digital distractions. Can I tell you this? Phones make time pass without accomplishing anything. You want to love on your family, put a basket by your door. When everybody comes in at night, have everybody put their phone in their basket. Now, that's not an old man talking about, I love my, I love my phone. I love technology. I love all that stuff. But I don't love it more than I love my family. So I, I've got to where at night I take my phone in, I throw it on the bed or on the charger or something. I, I turn the alarm, uh, the ringer on in case, you know, somebody needs me, but, but I walk away. One of the saddest sights to me is looking in a restaurant and a family of four or five sitting there and all of them on their phones. Listen, that's not old man talk. That's a pastor worried about the state of our families talk. There's the most important people in your life should be the ones around the table with you. Not the one on the fake vacation. You know that's a thing, right? Like fake vacation, you can go there and they'll upload your pictures and put you in an exotic place. You don't even have to leave your living room. Ten, do things together. Serve the Lord together. Eleven, close your Bibles, I'm finished. Y'all come get a song ready. Number eleven, don't talk about how stressed and busy you are. Close your Bibles and listen to me. I won't dive into all the research, but research shows that we're actually not busier than we were 50 years ago. Did you know that? We talk about it, but we're actually not. Research shows we have just as much free time as Andy Griffith had back in the day. But we're wasting our free time. And so what we do in America, it's a measure of success to talk about how busy you are. And research shows it actually brings anxiety to your heart and life and to your family by default. When you're telling yourself how busy you are. Because when you tell yourself how busy you are, whether you're busy or not, you're, you're, you're bringing stress in your life. And mom, I get it. You're a soccer mom. You got five kids, four kids, three kids, however many. And one's got dance and one's got soccer and one's got wrestling and one's got this and one's got that. You're going to leave one of them in the wrong place tonight when you get home. You're going to be like, where's Junior? And we're going to go, I think he's at a football field still. Like, I get it. That's going to happen. I get it. Let me tell you how you're hurting your families when you're driving around in the minivan going, we're so busy, we're so stressed, we're so busy, we're so stressed. So either stop something or just enjoy it. Here's what science tells us. You, John Gordon wrote this in a book. You cannot be thankful and stressed at the same time. It's, it's emotionally impossible to be thankful and stressed. So when you feel stressed, mom, sit around and thank God for your family. It was this period of my wife and I life. It was a three or four year period where we counted one year. We were like in 87 basketball games in a year. That didn't count practices. That didn't count trips. That 87 basketball games. One was in middle school. One was in high school. One would be going to South Georgia in the car and I'd be taking another one to East Georgia in the car, Birmingham to play basketball. It was, it was, it was, it was like that all the time. 
We fell in a little habit of complaining about it. And one time I stopped, I stopped us, I got us together and I said to Sherry, I said, hey, here's the deal. One of these days, we're going to wish we had a basketball game to go to. Because time's going to go by like that. And I don't want my kids' memory to be of us sitting around complaining about being with them, spending time with them. So we just decided not to complain about being stressed or busy. Because nobody cares because they think they're busier than you are anyway, right? Amen. Stand with me. I'm finished. Let me show you this stat because this is so sad to me. 41% of children ages 9 to 13, help me here, 9 to 13, said they feel stressed either all of the time or most of the time. 9 to 13. Why did they feel stressed all of the time or most of the time? Here's why. They had too much to do. More than three quarters of those same kids, more than 75% of them said their one wish, if they could have one wish, you know what it would be? More free time. Don't try to live vicariously through your kids. Let them be kids and when you're busy, just enjoy the ride. Financial margin, moral margin, calendar margin. Look, I get it. This is not a pew, sw- pew jumping, hanky waving, candelier swinging sermon. I get it. Chandelier swinging sermon. I get it. But it might save your family. So would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And if you're here today, if you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, that is the most important question. All this stuff doesn't matter if you spend eternity in a place called hell. Where you're going is life's most important question. If you're here today and don't know where you're going, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit that you cannot save yourself. B, believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And C, call out to him and confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. If you'd like to do that today, our staff is right here at the front. They'd love to pray with you and lead you to faith in Jesus. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.